And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Stark Bill. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. As we mention every week, Starkville is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long, and that includes us every Tuesday. So since I fled those Starkville city limits last week, let me reintroduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. Doug, thanks for maintaining law and order in Starkville without me last week. No problem. I've, uh, I want to add my expertise on all things corn as I played a couple of years mm-hmm. in Des Moines, Iowa, so I feel very confident. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a lot of corn talk here, but first... Uh, I, I want you to know I really enjoyed your conversation with our friend Alan Schwartz last week. I hope everyone checked that out. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I wanted to address is the part where you question why I was going on vacation and abandoning all my friends in Starkville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want you to know, uh, until last week, uh, we had not gone away as a family since Cooperstown, my big induction weekend Whoa. in Cooperstown. That was two years ago. So I am going to show zero remorse about this trip whatsoever, except for the part where I got a little sunburn from spending uh, too much time in the ocean. I don't know what the charge here was, but I am pleading not guilty. Mm. Is that okay, Doug? Yeah, I, I think, we, what did we talk about? A, a certain kind of toll? It, we can make the toll a yeah. charity to Starkville causes. Uh, that is the <laughs> building of a statue of Mike Schmidt in Philadelphia. And... Um, Maybe something to do with Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, we'll have to figure out what, but we'll find a way. Uh-huh. Well, I, you know, I believe that you actually said something about grilling me with a series of uh, trivia questions before you would allow me back into Starkville. So I hereby petition the mayor to waive that edict. Uh, mayor Tim, how do you rule on my petition? I'm going to rule in favor of your petition. The reason, though, is Thank because we, we need to keep this show together and your track <laughs> record on trivia this season is so bad that I don't think you would be getting back in and then we're going to have a one-man show and it makes yeah, my life anyway. harder, so you're back. <laughs> so just so you know, the mayor ruling from his own self-interest, as always... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now that we have all that out of the way, uh, let's move along to some 
actual baseball talk. Uh, hey, last week was incredible, an incredible week in baseball for so many reasons. Uh, but I don't think there's any doubt that the highlight of the week was that Field of Dreams game last Thursday. Uh, baseball in a cornfield in Iowa, man. It was just spectacular. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll take you behind the scenes, let you know how that all came together. When we talk to uh, the amazing field coordinator of Major League Baseball, Murray Cook, he's the man who waved his magic wand and made that ballpark in the cornfield happen. But first, I got something important I need to get to. Uh, Doug and I have been arguing about Field of Dreams on this show for two years. Mm -hmm. And you know what last week proved? I'm right. Like, Doug Glanville's wrong. I'm right. Field of Dreams is one of the best and clearly one of the most beloved baseball movies ever made. And everything about that game last week proved it. The ratings, the reverence everyone involved had for every moment that they spent there. All of that proved my point. So I'm right. Glanville's wrong. Doug, I'm going to give you the opportunity to apologize to me now, or you can wait till later in the show. Either's fine. Oh, yes. Well, of course, that's not going to quite happen, but I will maintain my my position. And actually, I agree with you. Uh, one of the more important movies, uh, iconic, I will stay with that word. It is beloved. I think it showcased the importance of our history and how people connect. So I, I think that could all still be true without openly declaring that it was an Academy Award-winning movie. I think that's completely fair to say. Like Lady Gaga, with all due respect, I, I'm not a huge fan of your music, but I respect you. I respect your journey. I respect what you've done. And so they can, they're not mutually exclusive. So yes, I, I have, you know, the game was absolutely important. So many people came out, certainly watched it. I think it ended in storybook fashion. It's good for the game. It's an event that baseball needs more of. And I celebrate that. And, I, and anything that's good for baseball, a game that I still love, absolutely, I'm all for it. And uh, I hope they expand Field of Dreams, continue to find other fields of dreams uh, all through America, wherever we want to go. Because I think there's uh, it's necessary to tie us back together, especially what we've been facing the last two years. So 100% behind Field of Dreams. Uh, I'm not going to declare declare that it's the greatest movie I've ever seen, <laughs> but I understand fully and I back it fully. You know, this is just pure revisionist history from you. <laughs> uh, like now that it's clear that everyone loves Field of Dreams, you're just trying to ingratiate yourself, but it's too late. Like we have audio evidence that you're just doing damage control right now. Uh, I, want you, I want to remind everybody, last year on this podcast, we got into such a heated debate about Field of Dreams, we actually conducted a trial. We put the movie on trial. We had witnesses. Uh, our, our buddy Jerry Blevins yep. came on and turned on me shockingly on the witness stand. No shock there. No shock. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he, it was a shock. Uh, my friend Glenn Macnow, uh, from also uh, turned off your radio fame, he, he's the co-author of The Ultimate Book of Sports Movies, also took the stand. Also turned on me. Right. Now, are we uh, but, are we ignoring this evidence? Now, listen to it, what you're saying. Hold on. I want. I want. I want. I want. Hold on. Hold on. Like I'm over what they did to me. Uh, here's the part I'm not over. 
<laughs> I want the world to hear how my friend Doug Glanville openly gloated <laughs> when the since impeached mayor of Starkville, Mayor Cam, read the verdict the week after the trial. Let's hear this. In light of the stirring testimony from Mr. Blevins and Mr. McNow last week, and compounded with, though circumstantial, the evidence found on social media in support of Mr. Glanville's pose. Mm -hmm. I state, and the verdict is, innocent for Mr. Doug Glanville in his position on Field of Dreams starring Kevin Costner. And he shall remain a citizen just, justice was served. Starkville. Justice was served properly without pride and prejudice. I thank you. Dear honorable evil mayor, thank you. I hear that? Like, you were so haughty that day, Glanville. Like, you just wanted to rub it in my face like that proved anything. But well, last week, yeah. as you watched that game, you clearly realized how wrong you were. Am I right? Well, let's, let's just note that it was well-deserved that I celebrate because you, you put a Twitter poll trying to ban me from my own town that I helped found. <laughs> so so I, I think that's grouch. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, your witnesses came in and they supported not only me, but they, they supported my opinion. I think that was you know, worth. So I, you, had, you had the whole lay of the land to choose any witness to support your position about the movie and all the subtleties. And the two that you chose completely exploded in your face and they supported my point of view. And I didn't even have to make a case. They just laid it out. So I think it's okay to have this sort of mixed review. And maybe in some ways that makes the movie even more incredible because uh, many people can debate it, but they cannot deny the impact that it's had. And, you know, I mean, there's no denying 30 plus years, here we are, Major League Baseball builds a stadium in its honor. Everybody comes, everybody watches it, and it still captures the same emotions as it caught 30 years ago. And I imagine this will probably continue into the future. So I have to respect that. I mean, I love the game. I want anything that's good for baseball to be celebrated. So I'm not going to even dispute it. I, I, I appreciate that. I can still have my movie-going opinion about corn <laughs> talking to people and all that, but that's okay. I still think the, the, the it captured something that is magical and that's as far as i'm concerned that's all i need to hear see as always you're missing the point that like the big point is whoever said it had to win best picture <laughs> said that like, it, it it doesn't matter that it wasn't cinematically perfect it doesn't matter that you have to suspend all sorts of disbelief <laughs> right. to buy into the whole concept right. the, you know the Whoever was talking out there, the corn or the clouds or the sky, whatever it was, that, that none of that matters. None of it. It's about dreams, my friend. Yes, it's about yes. relationships. Yes, it's I, about I right. And it, it, what we learned last week is people don't react that way unless this movie reached them in a special place. So whether the movie was cinematically uh, picturesque. Mm -hmm. That's irrelevant. <laughs> it is completely irrelevant. What matters is that the movie achieved what it set out to achieve by connecting with us as humans. And then look what happened from there. It was still connecting 35 years later. You're looking at all the wrong stuff, <laughs> period.
Uh, no, I, I see that stuff. And, and I think Kevin Costner said it pretty well in some of the interviews before the game. Uh, he said he, he really accentuated the point that when he read the script, he knew that you have to do it right. He knew it had to be perfectly done because of, like you said, the challenge of suspending disbelief and some of the, you know, like you said, the way certain things didn't fit or whatever it is. But he knew that the the aura of it would carry the day. That that was so. I think he recognized its imperfection or its like tentative way that it could go wrong, because they didn't have some, as he said, big scene. Right? There wasn't a fight scene or a love story. You know, it was just kind of about these relationships, right? That that flow through the surface and even in the depths of baseball, whether it's father or sons. And in my case, it was brother to brother, right? I didn't. My dad was you know, physically struggling and could not have catches with me, right? So, and I said have a catch, by the way. My brother stepped in as kind of a surrogate dad to teach me the game. You know, that's how I connected. So I wasn't, it wasn't a father-son. And my dad has been gone 20 years. So I certainly relate to that loss. But I also understand that it it means there's other relationships that can flourish around the game. It's brothers. And we can't ignore it. Daughter, my daughter loves, you know, watching sports and and mothers, my mom was, you know, a huge baseball fan by the time my career got started. So uh, so I have a great appreciation for that. That's why I will always be mindful of how people connected to this movie, even if I didn't connect exactly the same way. I can still appreciate Moonlight Graham's story. My dad was a physician. I can still appreciate, you know, the longing for making it and trying to make the show and all the ways it could not happen, how hard it is to get there and be healthy. Uh, I can appreciate the timelessness of it, of those stories are universal, James Earl Jones. So yeah, so, and his speech, which is, you know, even though he said it was $20, it's, it ended up more than that today, but uh, <laughs> inflation or whatever. So, yeah. um, so I think we are actually saying the same things because as guardians of the game, I, I want to support anything that extols its virtues and the nuance of the game, because that's, that, that's the spirit of our show. So I can I can get with that even if I <clears throat> didn't think you know uh, whatever portrayal it doesn't have to win an Academy Award Bull Durham didn't win necessarily Best Picture but it's still one of my favorite movies and and that's very personal and baseball is a very personal sport so I said I will stand behind it I hope they have many more of these games and I will and I'm sure if I walk through the corn and look back I would be as odd as anybody else uh, that doesn't take away from how I feel necessarily about the cinematography or the script or the movie or whatever. I just think it came together to capture something that we're really sorely missing right now, especially after two years of what we've been through as a, as a country, as a world. Right. So, all right. So you appreciate all the things about this film yes. that really matter, but it's not going to stop you from getting all nitpicky <laughs> about all that little stuff that doesn't matter at all. That, look, this is about the fact that people still have dreams and we need to help each other achieve our dreams and baseball can be a vehicle to help do that it's so simple stop being all nitpicky okay <laughs> but you don't even have to believe me just believe the special guest we have coming up on this show because he's going to explain it all beautifully looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, If you watched that Field of Dreams game last week, perhaps you asked yourself, how did that ballpark miraculously materialize in the middle of a cornfield? (laughs) Well, only one man can accurately answer that question, and it's our special guest this week, the ballpark guru himself, Murray Cook, president of Brightview Sports Turf Division and the official stadium and field coordinator for Major League Baseball. Murray, thanks for joining me and Doug Glanville on Starkville. Great to be on your show here. Say to talk about that great game. <laughs> great. Well, let me ask you this, Murray. You've you've built ballparks in London, Fort Bragg, and around the world. But in terms of all the challenges that you faced in making these fields happen, where did Iowa rank? You know, it's ranking up there pretty high on the list. I'd say it's 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 battering there with number one. Just. Uh, just the whole culmination of the whole event, how it came together and, and all the different groups and parties that were involved with it. Since we looked at the site in 2015, it's kind of been in, in the works. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I don't think people realize that baseball first approached you with this idea six years ago. And uh, I believe the original idea was to build the park on the site where the movie Field of Dreams is located. So tell me what you found when you... Uh, you first headed for Iowa for the first time to see what you were dealing with. Well, that, that was my first visit to Iowa. Uh, was in uh, that August of 2015. We, we went over and looked at the movie site, uh, met Denise Stillman, sweet person uh, uh, that passed away just before this event was officially announced. And uh, just uh, we looked at the original site and, you know, we noticed right away it was it, the dimensions of the field were pretty small. And the orientation's a little bit off too, for as it relates to setting up a ballpark for to meet MLB standards. More importantly, right field was elevated about five feet, so we'd had to go in and shave the whole field off, and then there was no way all the seats and locker rooms and everything else were going to fit around that. So we said, "So how much land we have here?" And then, well, there's more corn over there, so we went. <laughs> We, went, we moved home plate about a thousand feet from the existing home plate to the west, and uh, found a patch of of uh, corn there that we could harvest and chop down, and that's where we built it. Right. Well, you know, I just actually watched Field of Dreams again last night. Just I couldn't help myself, and I so I know to to build this park, like you couldn't just plow over all the corn <laughs> like Kevin Costner did in the movie, because you had to have cornfields beyond the outfield, didn't you? That's correct. But the whole theming behind it, you had to have the corn. So we were we were juggling. I learned more about corn the past two years, Jason, than I probably really want to know about. Uh, and, you know, it is a grass technically. It is it is come from the grass family, 
And of course, people are saying, well, how's it taste? Well, it's not that kind of corn, it's field corn. So we, we had to learn uh, a lot about, uh, about corn and where we can plant it, where we couldn't plant it around the field. And uh, as I mentioned, we moved the site to the west and unfortunately we had to, it was on a hill there too. So we had to flatten that out. We had to move about 30,000 cubic yards of soil just to level the site so we could uh, build the field. So it was, that was probably the most challenging part of the, of the construction was in August of 29 when we pushed the corn over. I'm telling you, just like uh, Coster did, uh, Ray Kinsella did with his daughter in the tractor, he was, she was sitting there riding with him, knocking the corn down. That's what we did. We just went out and knocked down, you know, six acres of corn and, and uh, built a ball field. Wow. All right. Now, I know, you know, Glanville was an engineering major at Penn, so I'm sure he wants to ask you all about how you level those hills and what you did with the corn. Uh, well, Murray, it's, uh, it's great having you. And I, um, I did listen to a podcast uh, or an uh, interview you had with Athletic Turf, I believe it was. Okay. And uh, so I learned that uh, Ear of Corn has 532 kernels. Uh, yeah. so, so we think about baseball, just it's fascinating with fascination with numbers. And, and uh, you know, I think the connecting the dots with that sort of passion and the attention to detail, how did you sort of connect the dots where you got to this point where you were sort of the field coordinator, so to speak, uh, around baseball? Oh, my gosh, it started back uh, 30 years ago more when I started uh, working on projects for the commissioner's office in different places. My first foray went to USSR with the Diamond Diplomacy Tour, and, okay. and uh, things went from there with, uh, with minor league teams. And then you know, wherever Major League Baseball is played internationally, I've kind of coordinated all of those ballparks and field builds and so on. I really think that this, you know, the commissioner's concept of trying to take the game to new and different places, uh, especially domestically. You know, the Fort Bragg game was, it was a big one in 2016, the Braves Marlins. That was great. The one we're doing here this, this coming Sunday in the, the Crosscutter Stadium here in Bowman Field. Uh, the, the Major League Baseball's Little League Classic event. You know, those events really helped create this dynamic to really do these things in other places. I think the first one, that probably really made it work was the uh, game that we played in London, in Sydney, Australia, uh, at the Sydney Cricket Grounds, and we actually turned the this hallowed ground of cricket into a baseball field for an opening day game for the uh, Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. So it's uh, putting all those pieces together, as you, as you said, you know, learning from this, those different experiences, what goes into not only the playing surface and the field, and but also everything around it locker rooms, the media centers, all the other pieces that you have to have to host a game of, of this caliber. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I noticed, Murray, that, you know, what, what was the unique challenge of bringing to life something that already exists on screen, right? You have a story already laid out. You have a history where so many fans connect to this. What was the unique pressure to try to recreate something that follows something that's so iconic? You know, there's there's a um, there's a team that we have put together to do this. It's uh, Populous is our is our architect, uh, band productions is our project manager, and then Brightview we do all the construction management and the field piece, anything the players touch. And you know, Populous, a tip of the hat to those guys. I mean, they came up with some really unique concepts on how the ballpark would be laid out, so that uh, when fans entered the movie site field where they came through the gates. They walk through the corn and they walk through the corn all the way to the ballpark with the corn. If you were walking it, 
that's 10 feet high. Well, you couldn't see anything until you popped up out of the stadium and you saw the field and just beyond the right field wall, you could see the original movie site. It was really choreographed really well, designed well to, to really have that wow moment, that aha moment of when people saw it. And I would have to say that's probably the, the past couple of weeks I, I was there, uh, taking people out there the first time they'd seen it. When the players came out of the dugouts the first time, the Yankees came out, the White Sox came out, the guys came out with cameras and they just sit there and took a picture and then just stood there and just were like, just in awe of this is a field in the middle of a cornfield. And, it, and, uh, and that's where I got a lot of joy. Uh, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. You know, it was, it, it was really cool. Um, were those players aware of who you are and what you did to, uh, to make all this happen? Yeah, I, I think a few of them were obviously, you know, the, the GMs and so on, uh, the staff there, of course, if we did the, the Yankees, uh, Red Sox, you know, flip there in London Stadium in 21 days. That was quite the challenge in 2019 because uh, it rained 18 to 21 days that we were there. Uh, rains a lot in London, but uh, yeah, I think I think folks have uh, have seen me around here and there, and and, uh, and but to know really what went into the development of the ballpark and the design and the construction, uh, I think I think uh, you know those details are are part of part of what we do. Yeah, I just wondered if anybody said anything to you or asked you anything about it that you're going to carry with you forever. Uh, I was uh, I was really taken aback by uh, uh, Chris Haydock's father. He was works for Major League Baseball, and his dad. He brought him out there to the ballpark. He walked out, and you know, his older gentleman. He said, "This does look like Kaminsky Park," and he noticed it just from the from the dimensions of, of the field, which was meant to be. I mean, we actually built uh, the outfield wall, and the bullpens went behind the center field fence, just like old Kaminsky. And the dimensions were the same. And just him noticing, you know, people noticing the details in the dugouts, all the barn wood we used, the real barn wood from, from right there in, in Dyersville. We, they, they had an old barn, they sold it, and we we planked all the dugouts. We, the old scoreboard was was real barn wood, just the, the attention to detail. And 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 I think probably the, well, the one guy that, that, that threw me was Kevin Costner. When, when he walked down the field and, and he was there with uh, Brian O'Gara and, and Brian called me over and Kevin says, that is, you know, he used to be this very cook. He built a field. He says, is this real? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> the grass. I said, I said, no, no, Kevin, it's not real. And he said, really? I said, no, it's better than real. It's magical. And I got a little chuckle out of it. And uh, it was uh, it was really cool. He said, Joe, look, come over here. This is the guy that built the field. So that was, it, that, that was a fun one. Oh, my God. You wowed Kevin Costner. Nice going. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> you know, I was really taken uh, by the the whole com- old Comiskey feel. Um, you know, it just it didn't just have the dimensions of the old Comiskey, a place that I love, by the way. Just it had the aura of old Comiskey. You know, I love when Aaron Judge hit that home run that landed actually literally in the cornstalk, <laughs> and then Fox had this incredible shot. Um, you might not even have seen it, Mary, of the baseball sitting in the stalk, the corn stalk, and just beyond it, you could see Aaron Judge in the outfield right there. Oh my God! Like you couldn't have designed it any better than that. What a script! Yeah, it was. It was. It, it was. Uh, 
it was breathtaking. A lot of night. and then the sunset that night was just off the wall. I mean, just it happened to be it just rained three days in a row. So we were a little worried about the rain there for that game that night, but it was beautiful. It was a beautiful night. Good went into a game. Uh, just and again, just uh, everything culminated to be be uh, as as uh, Kevin said, it's perfect, and 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 it really was. It played great. A lot of compliments on the field, uh, the facility, the locker rooms. To your point, Doug, about uh, the the pop up component. I mean, that's going back to Fort Bragg. Uh, we really brought out all the different components to create the locker rooms, clubhouses, and and uh, all the media tent areas, the back of house, the production areas, the umpires' rooms. All those components are uh, are temporary, including the seating structure itself. The entire seating structure is all scaffold. And uh, we started the construction of that July 1st and ended, uh, you know, July, well, July 8th, we wrapped it up. And BAM Productions just does a tremendous job and has done that multiple times. And they do all the NHL setups and they've done some stuff with the All-Star Tour. So that's, that's a tip of the cap to those guys. Okay. But, you know, we were talking about the old Comiskey and I was at the original turn back the clock game at the old Comiskey back in the 90s. And this event reminded me so much of that game. Uh, uh, One big difference was at that game, they pretty much turned off all the technology. There was no music. There was no PA system. You literally had... Uh, you had a guy announcing who was coming to bat through a megaphone. <laughs> there were no videos on the scoreboard. There, were, there was like none of that. Um, so I was curious, did you wrestle with how much technology to include in this event? I, uh, not wrestled very much at all. You know what? We kept it. We tried to keep it as traditional as possible to the point where, you know, the right field scoreboard was a manual manual board. We had three kids up there in period attire changing the numbers on the board during the game. The actual, uh, your typical uh, sponsorship signs you see directly behind home plate that change electronically or they change with a scrolling type of roller. Those were planks of wood. We had two people go out and change between <laughs> everything and slide in and slide out. I mean, Really attention to detail of the operation of the ballpark. Folks dressed up in attire. You saw some of the some of the folks that were doing some of the uh, reviews around the field. Even the guys down the lines that were working for Fox were in period attire, white shirt, suspenders, you know, a little cap, uh, you know, deckers on, and uh, you know, really, really did it upright. Well, you know that that raises kind of an essential question uh, for for me at least. See, I think one of the greatest things about baseball is how on any given night you can connect the dots between something that just happened right here in the 21st century with a game played in a completely different time and place 50 or 80 or 100 years ago. But it's finding that balance between history and nostalgia and staying current and relevant. It feels like it's this sport's biggest challenge. Uh, So... How much did you contemplate that question as you conceived and built this park of how much nostalgia was perfect and how much was too much? Yeah, that, that's, that, that's a good question. And you know what? I think a lot of planning, again, we started in 2015 and we really got working on it early. Uh, it was probably started working on the concepts and all that with the commissioner's office, what they were looking for, really trying to, accentuate the corn, right? Because really the movie 
uh, was it, you know, that's where, that's where Ray Kinsella heard, heard the voices, heard the ghosts, right? It was in the corn. So the focus on that by not putting seating structures in the outfield and the, or seating in left and right field uh, to, to make sure that, that that part really worked. And then we brought in uh, Moscow Lighting. They, uh, all these firms we use are right there in Iowa. It's tremendous. John Deere did us a bunch of all the equipment, the John Deere trackers, the history behind that, trackers all over the place. And then we had Moscow who came in and put up these lights, and they're like an hour away. And they were able to, again, through uh, their design components to light up the corn as people walked up through the site. And, and then, you know, some of the other things that obviously you, you saw online, different things was, was the corn maze, right? And in making it part of this experience more so than it was a game coming to a game, but really feeling that when you walk through and, you know, I was there early in the morning, I was there late at night, every day, the best time was early in the morning. You can literally see that corn just flowing and the tassels blowing in the wind, quiet and, you know, super hot during the day. And that August weather uh, in Iowa is just, just beautiful. It's incredible. I mean, it just, it just makes me, you know, again, goosebumps talking about it because um, those are filled of dreams. Everyone's got, everyone's got their own field of dreams somewhere, right? And everyone's has their has their way they tie back to the game to something they've done in their life or something that that or that they that they enjoyed with their father, mother, brother, sister. They went to this. They saw this person at home run, and and that's why everyone has an attachment to them. Everybody in Dyersville has a fill a dream story. Anyone you talk to has. I remember when I remember this person when I met. I was like all these different things. It's it was again just the entire experience of building it was none other than I've ever been part of. Yeah, well, Murray, I, I had a chance to play a couple of seasons in Iowa. I was on the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines, lived mm -hmm. in West Des Moines. One memorable, okay. one memorable trip I had was we had a fan, Becky Cornelius, and her father owned a collectible shop um, somewhere in a town called Bagley, Iowa. And one day they asked me to go sign autographs at their collectible shop. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Let's do that. And I said, well, give me directions. And she said, well, you know, it's not that easy, you know, they're trying to coordinate it. So they said, look, it's better that we meet at a McDonald's nearby and then we'll go from there. And I, I was like, OK, I wonder why it's so hard to find this town. So I drive and meet at the McDonald's and they say, follow us. And we're driving down the road. I don't see any streets. And all of a sudden we turn literally into a cornfield. There was just it was just a dirt road and there was corn. And we go through, just like you said, 10 feet high, couldn't see anything. I'm just following the back of their truck. And then it pops up this town. And the town is four blocks by four blocks. They have a bank, a community center, and the population is 303. And I met the wow. entire town within like an hour at this autograph session. <laughs> and the thing that I pulled from that is I looked at my Iowa experience and they are great baseball fans. And I kind of am happy to see that they're getting that sort of major league experience because we had Sec Taylor Stadium in Iowa sold out 10,000 strong. We had a good team and we had fans mm -hmm. from Bagley, Iowa that came out every single night. And, uh, and it was something that, you know, I thought you captured well. So I was very moved by the fact that it was important to you to bring uh, contractors, vendors, workers from Iowa to really connect the dots. So I just want to ask what, what made you feel that um, the importance of that, and, and is this something you do on all your projects? 
You know, it, it, it is, Doug. We've, you know, and even in Fort Bragg, although we had our, our service members uh, were on the TARP crew there and the field crew, we also brought together North Carolina, as you know, has a lot of minor league teams. We brought all the minor league field guys here to help out with the project uh, on the site. And by the way, the, the TARP crew we had in, uh, in uh, Fort Bragg, they were really good, right? Because they were all service members. I mean, they were like, one minute and 14 seconds, I got this tarp out. Like, no, we can do better. I'm like, no, this, that's nothing. Let's do it again. I'm like, nothing else to do. That's perfect. No, no, I'm right again. But then come to Iowa, and all these guys are, I mean, everybody in the crew, of course, everybody knows someone. So on my team, I've probably got six or seven guys that are actually from Iowa on the team uh, that helped take, help build the field and help manage it, which was really special for them. They were able to have their families come by. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a sense of ownership that, you know, Again, using the contracts we had, my gosh, just some of the some of you know these folks just just have such a great demeanor and just love the game as you said and and uh, provided us with with, with uh, you know like 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 your home. I mean, you walk down the road, you go down the road, you wave. Everybody waves when you're riding down the road. And when we first started there in in August, all the dirt, all the roads to the Field of Dream site were all still gravel roads. They were still grabbing. They had paved them for this, this event so you can get people back there. But you you could go probably a half a mile, and you're back on gravel roads again, main roads. And uh, but that's just uh, that's just that's the life in Dy- in Dyersville and and uh, and around that community. I mean, it, it's uh, they came out to greet us and seeing people's signs in the front yard, welcoming them all day, just riding down the road through neighborhoods, just welcoming you know signage and people sitting on the front porch waving they, they know you're not from around they're out there waving to you you wave back and it was <laughs> it was just it was it was really special you know i don't i don't know anybody who was there players coaches media fans people from dyersville who didn't look at that night as one of the most special times they've ever spent at a ballpark and there was the beauty of that park in that setting there were all the little touches that you spoke of. Uh, there was Kevin Costner leading those players out of the cornfield. And then you had one of the most memorable games of the year. I, I was thinking, like, what what were your own emotions that night as someone who had been involved for six years and saw that whole event literally materialize out of corn? You know, just sitting there trying to take it all in, right? You, you don't want to miss miss things and and uh, being involved in a lot of major events and olympics and you know usa winning gold in sydney and athens and different places have been around the world and, uh just you know i've learned that you really need to take and live the moment live in the moment of what of where you are and i try and tell all the guys and gals that work with me said remember this moment because it's special and and you're going to want to remember things about it and i think you know it it started that 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 afternoon when they opened the gates and it just it just there was just so many moments and i keep thinking about things oh my gosh i forgot about that oh yeah that's right i write them all down trying to remember everything but just one thing after another to your point it's uh uh from and then things just happened like the sunset that was the orange sky we've had in in uh, Iowa, the sunset at 8, 8.15 that I've, I've seen for probably 
you know, four or five months ago was the last one I'd seen. And then just the way we had a meteorologist there, and it just so happened that from a weather standpoint, the uh, cold front had come down and was just starting to come across and push everything south. It was very humid that day, which created the sky to have these special clouds, I'm what you call them. But he said, it just, that happens. It happens. It's rare, but it happens. It happened that night. I mean, again, just these things are just, you know, I didn't see any ghosts. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't see any ghosts. Uh, but, you know, we, you know, around there, we had problems with raccoons. Uh, the cows were, were behind the media tent area, behind home plate somewhere. We heard those that morning. I mean, you're in a farm and all that's going on around you, people are living, corn's growing. And yeah, I was just, I could talk about it forever. Were there any last minute glitches that made you worry that it, like this was all going to fall apart or <laughs> you, you know, you're going to have some stuff you couldn't cope if, with? Yeah, there was. I mean, as you know, we were worried about people. Uh, walking as far as they did to to the air. No, no, nobody complained about that. That's a long walk from the parking lot. The day before it rained, and the parking lot turned into a, a mud hole, basically. And oh my gosh! So you know, we had to actually go out and mow the, an alfalfa corn farm area where we went out and striped lines for parking for three thousand cars. And uh, it, it just poured the day before, four inches of rain or something. In two days, it, it came down. I said, what are we going to do? Out comes everybody from Mount Steger, the contractor. They bring in these trucks of gravel. It's a bit fixed, done. It was like, it was like <laughs> here we go. Let's, I, I forgot. That's right. I'm in Iowa. Things get, you know, it just got fixed. And then we were good to go. So, yeah, it was a glitch. But, you know, it, it was well taken care of by, by him and their team. Well, Murray, um, you know, Given that the game was supposed to be a year ago, uh, what magic happened, revelations happened within that year? Was there something you figured out, adjusted, changed, or sort of uh, underscored the magic of the moment a year later? Well, you, you know, to the point, again, to back to the corn discussion, I mean, uh, the stadium, we were in COVID, and, uh, and the stadium was designed to be no seats so it was all decking so we didn't actually put up all the seat structures for last year's game uh to the level we did for this year so with that being said with no fans we had to, to put in more corn last year. So we had corn surround we had transplanted i don't know probably say we're made to ten thousand plants of corn around the field last year we didn't have to do this year because we had seats uh where that corn was down the foul territories and behind home plate and this year uh, and, and we also found that the corn, you know, we wanted to get it up high above the fence. And we did last year. We got it about eight feet. But they said, you know, one of the reasons it didn't get to 10 and 12 was because of some of the soils and some of the drainage we had. So we were able to, to, to tweak that during, the, uh, uh, during the, the fall, early winter with some more grading and adding some irrigation to get healthier corn around, you know, the outfield wall areas and up through the path, which made a huge difference in, in the aesthetics. I mean, that corn went 10 to 12 feet. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I watched the Fox, uh, one of the clips, the guys walking out of the corn and even Aaron judge, you couldn't see the top of his head, you know, coming through the corn when he popped out when they did a, a, an arrow from the top. I mean, and then we had this blimp come over that hot air balloon come over in left field out of nowhere. I mean, this somebody just, Hot air, hot air balloon across the field. <laughs> Where'd that come from? It was like, it's Iowa. 
It's so, it was so cool. You know, Murray, I'm sure you've seen the TV ratings. Uh, that was the most watched regular season baseball game in 16 years. So you built it, and people most <laughs> definitely came, okay? <laughs> like, I know my family sat around and watched it together, all of us, and that never happens. So have you thought about why that is? Uh, what was it or what is it about that movie, about that site, about that game that caused people to react the way they did? Wow, I boy, I, I'm I'm still trying to figure that one out, Jason. I tell you, it's <laughs> I I I got. I mean, I'm standing there with all my MLB colleagues after the game's over. We're all getting these texts and messages from people I haven't heard from in years. People, num numbers coming up. I don't know who they are. They that was so awesome. Numbers from an old phone that I didn't have before. I got a message from someone in Japanese that I knew met in, <laughs> met in Japan. I mean, these, I mean, and they were getting, I said, they're like, you're getting them too. I'm like, yeah. And just people were just like, just captured by that event that, that uh, I said, wow, this is, this was, must've been a pretty special thing for a lot of people. And, uh, and, and, and it was, of course, I'm going through all these texts and what I was getting and picking up, I'm like, now who is this again? You know, people saying the numbers said, oh, great job. I'm like, I'm sorry, I lost your number. I'm not sure you are. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was why, yeah, it, uh, it was a great movie, right? It was, it was it was a great movie, and and again, everyone's got an attachment to to film and into baseball, and it just it all works. You know, Doug and I have been arguing about Field of Dreams for two years. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Literally. I think that game and the response to that game proves that everything that I've been trying to drum through his head is right. Like that, I, I like. I know that movie isn't perfect. It can't possibly be. You got to suspend all kinds of disbelief, but it resonates with people in a way that I think no other baseball movie does. So, can you please? Back me up on that so Doug will see the light. Doug, he's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, James Earl Jones did, you know, he did a piece and just hearing his voice, you know, hearing his voice alone is, 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 is unbelievable. But then hearing him talk about the game on, on one of the, the Fox hits they did, you know, that uh, great actor and just, you know, uh, it was it, all those different pieces just just worked. Yeah, and I liked I liked listening to Kevin Costner talk about uh, the kind of moments that were unsaid. You know, uh, in terms of mm -hmm. the things that we wish we said. You know, I have a son who's thirteen. Um, now, my dad, I lost my dad about twenty years ago, and I couldn't mm -hmm. really quote. And in Jersey, we did say "have a catch" with my dad um, <laughs> because he. Uh, he had some challenges with like his neck and health, and so he he kind of shut down the baseball teaching when I was really early. But I have an older brother, and so my whole relationship from baseball, as soon as I could walk, was through my brother. I had a sort of a brother to brother. I guess they associate football with more of that, and um, and so I think you know my my feeling about the game always associates my competitive spirit with him and how he kind of mentored me, and he kind of stood in for my dad. And I think a lot of cases, even with someone like John Vukovic, who was my coach in Philadelphia, I always gravitated mm -hmm. towards these father figures in baseball. And and so I guess I'm curious, is, is there an aspect of that that resonates in your life where, you know, the, the elements of fatherhood, brotherhood, 
or you know sons and 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 of course you can't leave out the daughters and the mothers of course sure. but i know that the the movie tried to portray much more of that lost conversation with fathers and sons yeah we had a good time you know i i used to manage the spring train complex for the braves and expos back when they were in west palm beach and uh and while i was there you know my my kids were you know uh, young then, probably, you know, eight, six, five, six years old, three years old. And I, I remember my son, uh, Cameron, he's sitting on my lap and on a tractor and we're out working on this field. He's, and he just loved tractors. And, uh, and we're, we're kind of knocking down the old grass there and, and uh, bush hogging down the area where, where we're going to build this field. And, uh, and I would look at that uh, and I remembered that moment. And I thought about in the movie when when uh, when he was uh, Ray Kinsella was his daughter was in, was was doing the same thing, and it kind of tied that. I'm like, we're doing that right now. We're kind of doing this thing, you know, that that I did with my son, and this and here we are. We're actually building. Here's the uh, Film Dreams 2.0. Basically, we're it's right across the street. We're actually building this this field for for the for the community for the people for the game. As part of that, I mean, I thought about that a lot, and and uh, and, I, and my, I talked to my son. I said, "Do you remember?" He says, "Yeah, I do. It was one of my favorite things we did. Let's fix that field <laughs> and, and make it right." And you know, I've been blessed to have a great crew, great team, great bunch of folks over uh, sixty different countries. I've worked in for for taking care of ball fields and working on them for a commissioner's office. And it's it's uh, this one's you know uh, the one we did there in in Dyersville was uh, again. Pretty special in a lot of different ways. Touched a lot of, pulls a lot of heartstrings for sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the commissioner has said uh, there's going to be another Field of Dreams game, and um, I, like I wonder how long of a run this game could have where it would still be special. I, I mean, you were there, you've been part of it. What do you think? Who knows? I mean, again, we we you know. You knew this was going to be special. The game was this the one we played last Thursday. You know, what do you do next to 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 make it to make it you know the same way? I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there. I'm sure they're they're pondering that question right now. Uh, you know how you know we've been coming to we're we have sports, so we've been coming here uh, you know the past few times. You know, of course, last year because of COVID, but a couple years before we're back this year. It's a special thing here too with the kids and the teams come out and the kids are out with them and it's a uh, it's a it's a unique event for the players to go to the Little League World Series and see these kids and play with them. I think trying to trying to make those attachments and trying to whatever you do, whether whether it's better or worse, you know, whether you're trying to continue to grow it, that's what that's that's what it's all about, just growing the game the best you can. You know, I have I have a theory about this, and I think it applies to Williamsport too. Uh, but you know, I've I've told it to Dan Evans, who works with that group that operates the movie site. Uh, in baseball, we have lots and lots and lots of games. What we don't have is enough events. <laughs> you know, with a capital E. Uh, so, how does baseball create more events like this one? Uh, you're the perfect person to ask because it's literally what you do. I, you know what, I'm, I, my job is just creating the canvas, right? So, and then the artists, the players go out and paint it. Uh, and, and 
planning that canvas also includes what goes around it, right? And all the different pieces. And, 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 and I think when you, when you try and put together events, special events like these, uh, you know, seeing how they've worked in the past in other places and other countries, uh, it's uh, every dynamic's a little different. The, dealing with different cultures and different, different, you know, you know, in Iowa versus North Carolina versus Pennsylvania versus London versus Australia versus Japan. I mean, you, you, I mean, a lot of people in the conference office really look at all those different components, and then you know, got a got a uh, worldwide architect at Populous. They just does a great job of understanding all those different things and how to pull community-related design aspects or being history aspects into the design of the venue. I mean, those are those things. All putting that, you know, someone orchestrates that. I'm part of the orchestra uh, and and blessed to be a part of it. But uh, it's definitely not a one-man show for sure. It's a lot, a lot of people, a lot of great ideas coming together to, to do some cool things. I mentioned earlier we, before we started just talking about I was a systems engineer in college and I graduated, uh, graduated with systems engineering degree. And my passion was transportation, sort of getting people to places. Uh, but I also remember when the sort of revolution of renewing nostalgia began, whether uh, companies like HOK Sport, Camden Yards, you know, we saw all these monuments to the game. And, you know, I, I've always seen them as cathedrals, you know, whether Bull Durham talks about that also. Sure. Um, and, and so I guess from a general space a question around baseball, what is it that you love about the sport? Uh, more than, than anything else. And of course, I don't want to presume that, but if, what is, what is it you like the most about baseball? I would have to go with, uh, you know, obviously the field, right? You know, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a living, growing thing, right? And, and managing that to, to, to make it part of the game you know, a safe play surface for players. I've always strived to make sure that that uh, through all of our walkthroughs and planning that, you know, at the end of the day, you've got guys out there that are going to be playing on this field. And when they go out and they take ground balls and they take five balls, they look and they get the field, and they're like, this is a good field. You know, you've, you've done good, right? Now, the rest of it around that, you know, is is – is also very important, obviously, the back of the house, the locker rooms, and so on. But, but to me, it gives me a lot of, uh, uh, you know, makes it feel good about things when, when, you, when you know you've, you've, you've checked all the boxes and, and you get those compliments from the players and the staff and the coaches that, you know, this is, this is really, really a nice ballpark. You know, so from there, what are my favorite ballparks or where, you know, what are other places that, that uh, you know, when you look at the design of ballparks and 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 how they've changed over the years, how they used to be, you know, synthetic, and uh, and there was like eleven or twelve synthetic ballparks, turf ballparks back in the '90s, and then they went away, and now you got a new resurgence of those. Uh, but the game itself, the classic game, is played on natural grass. You know, different types of fields. Uh, that's my passion. I have one quick design question uh, as an outfielder. Okay, so now I've made this case before. So, you know, you take the bird's eye view and then you look at the field and there's like a checkerboard on the grass, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So now I want to understand this. Like, So are they cut different directions? Uh, how do they get like light, dark, light, dark, light, all the different bands? Yeah, 
Great question. I hear that a lot. Uh, in fact, uh, in, in the Olympics in uh, it was Sydney Olympics, we actually, for the first game, we mowed uh, the shape of the rings, the five Olympic rings in the outfield. And uh, the, one of the technical guys came out and said, you know, you've got to take those out. I'm afraid a ball is going to get stuck in one of the circles and not come out. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. But we took it anyway. But it looked great. Well, the whole striping pattern thing is really the mower doing that. It's, it's designed to push the grass over, uh, bend it per se, and bend it back the other way. So as it, as it rolls one way, it rolls the other way. So it's really an illusion. Now, to your point, there are some fields, especially down in the south, the Bermuda-type curved grasses that you have that really, uh, if you grain them too much, you have that snaking ball uh, type of a component that, that comes at you. But uh, it, once you change up your patterns, it takes those out. But yeah, a lot of cool designs. I know David Mellard is the, is the my gosh, this guy can come up with the designs at, at Fenway like no, no one. Just beautiful fields and patterns he's put out in that field. But at the end of the day, it's, that's, a, that's a groundskeeper doing their thing, and, and we're just excited to be able to put a good product on the field for the players to play on. So just one point, one point with that. So the ball, <laughs> when it changes different color swatches, the ball mm -hmm. like kind of moves side to side. You know, it kind of snakes. Those are mm -hmm. really tough. So I, I found that they're now building the, the lines more parallel to create lanes. That's correct. Uh, because it was really tough. I made a couple errors in Dodger Stadium or over the years, because because the ball literally like it was like chasing Next a pipe. Yeah, so. you're right. Well, I mean that's you probably saw the pattern that we used uh, for the for the game there in Dyers with the Field of Dreams. Basically, the pattern was directly straight out to their left fielder, straight to the center fielder, and straight to the right fielder. Yeah. So you, you didn't have that cross up like you're like you're talking about. So you had more of a straight roll of the ball. Mary, I want you to know, like, this is classic Glanville, <laughs> the engineering okay. nerd that he is. He's waited his whole life to get somebody I like you on this show so we can ask these questions. <laughs> All right, let, me, let me ask you one more thing, and I, we'll let you run. Uh, as you mentioned a few times, you're speaking to us from Williamsport. So you've got Shohei Otani and the Angels coming to Williamsport next Sunday to play the Indians uh, with little leaguers from around the world. What really excites you about this game? Oh man, this one is, has uh, when, I, when we first played it, uh, and, and watching these kids come out on the field and stand next to the stars, and then come out and the players go out with them. I mean, it was it was it, it was really touching too. And, and you can tell that uh, you know some of these kids, you know, they're going to be you, you've seen it. You know, all these kids end up becoming major league players down the road, and it just it's part of their field dreams too. Great. Uh, well, listen, Mary, I know you've got to run and, and, and get Williamsport rolling, but this was so cool to, to hear the story of how this event came together and how you do what you do. So keep up the special work, and, and thanks so much for joining us here in Starkville. Great, great, great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys. Back at you. Oh, that was so much fun. Thank you so much for fitting us in.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Woohoo! It's that time again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And once again... We are literally involving you by picking our favorite listener trivia question of the week. Then we invite you to join us on this podcast live to stump us with your question. We do this every week for some reason, and we'll tell you how you can do it in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, uh, Doug, I know last week you attempted to do the trivia thing solo, mostly because I shamed you into it. So how'd that go? Well, I fouled it off, uh, 3-2 count. I took one, uh, a Maddox running fastball that caught the black of the corner. It was an epic pitch, and I, I just kind of froze at the plate. But 3-2, uh, I'll give him credit. You know, Maddox made a nice pitch. <laughs> All right, that's Doug's way of saving, saying, yes, he got that really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I'm back to rescue you this week. Not that there were any better as a team than you were all alone, but at least we can commiserate once we get the question wrong. So why don't we continue our Field of Dreams theme by bringing in one of our favorite people. It's Chris Kampka, who is a super creative producer of many, many fun baseball facts for NBC Sports Chicago, uh, former co-worker of Doug, and a fabulous follow on Twitter at C. Kamka at C-K-A-M-K-A. Chris, thanks for joining us on Starkville, my friend. Oh, great. Glad to be here. It's an honor. Um, it's my first time doing a podcast with you. I've done one with Doug in the past, back when we did the Cubs Talk podcast a couple times back at NBC Sports Chicago, so it's great to be back on with Doug. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's an honor, because uh, i got to say, the useless information department is probably... <laughs> The biggest uh, inspiration to the work I do. So um, it's quite the honor to be on. 
Awesome. Doug, how about that? That's awesome. No, <laughs> yeah, that's great. It turns out that that information is not really useless. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> All right, before we get to the part of this visit where we get your trivia question disastrously wrong, Chris, um, you know that team that you guys covered, NBC Sports Chicago, the White Sox, went to Iowa last week. I know you've unearthed many brilliant nuggets from that amazing game that they played there. I'd love to hear your very favorite tidbit from the Field of Dreams game. Well, it ended in a walk-off. <laughs> and in White Sox history, there are 157 walk-off home runs, um, one in the postseason and 156 in the regular season. Um, 156 of them have happened in the state of Illinois. <laughs> this one did not. <laughs> so, so, so it's the first White Sox walk-off to ha happen in any other state, and it landed in corn. Exactly. <laughs> walk-off, yeah, home, walk-off home run. Right. It was a corn-off. Yes. Like, did, I, I was wondering, like, didn't Earl Weaver once grow corn in the bullpen at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore or something like that? I, I think I remember that he grew some kind. He had like a garden in there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was just I tomatoes. I, I heard that. It might have been just tomatoes. I, I don't know. Anyway. Well, I, I do know that we've put off your trivia question long enough. So, um, when, like every week, I try to throw a theme out there for the Twitter. And I, this week, the theme was Shoeless Joe Jackson questions. Uh, you had a great Shoeless Joe question. So, let's do this. Chris, what's your trivia question? Sure. And by the way, Shoeless Joe, of course, has a big theme with the Field of Dreams. Um, and, and another nugget, by the way, um, he had the first walk-off homer for the White Sox against the Yankees, as Doug Kern shared on Twitter. Yeah. And the last one, of course, was in the Field of Dreams, based on a movie about Shoeless Joe. But Shoeless Joe had three seasons of 20 triples. Uh, so in the season since he has been expelled from the game, 1921 on, only one other player, a Hall of Famer that is, had three seasons of 20 or more triples. Who is that player? Mm. Wow. So three 20 triple seasons after Shoeless Joe got bounced out of baseball, and you said 1921, 100 years ago. Uh, I do appreciate the hint that this guy was a Hall of Famer, but <laughs> I'm still thinking we have no shot at this. Uh, so let's let's walk ourselves through it, Doug. I, right. Like I immediately thought of Rogers Hornsby, mm -hmm. Ty Cobb, Hannes Wagner. They were all extra base hit machines. Yeah. But like, since all these seasons had to come after 1921, yeah. it feels like that disqualifies them. Now, Hornsby did play, though, for quite a while after 1921. Yeah, Cubs. He so let's, let's, yeah, let's leave him hanging there. All right. Uh, beyond those guys, now, I thought of Willie Mays. He had a ton of triples early in his career, but three seasons of 20? I'm, I'm yeah, too many home runs. So. Too many home runs. Uh, Jackie Robinson, certainly not impossible. No. Lou Brock, he was a fast Maybe. guy. Yeah. Right? Luis Aparicio, another fast guy, but not that many extra base hits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, I'm really unsure of this one. There were so many more triples 
in the 20s and 30s and 40s than yep. there have been in the last 75 years. It really makes this hard. It's, so it's probably somebody I haven't even thought of. I, I just wish that you had had 320 yeah, that would... <laughs> so at least then you would know the answer. <laughs> but <laughs> do you have any other thoughts? That's on our this? best shot. Well, I thought about, <laughs> like, I was with you on Brock. I, I, I don't know if Joe Morgan... Uh, did Rod Carew yeah. have a lot of triples? Seemed like Carew might have, because he didn't hit a lot of home runs. Why not have triples? Um, what about Stan Musial? Was he kind of a triples guy? He seemed like a pretty good candidate. Uh, and then, of course, our favorite, yeah, him. Chuck Klein. You know, seems yeah. like he's always throwing some curveballs at us. And one person I thought was kind of a wild card was a Frankie Frisch, because he, he debuted. I followed him because he was on my Stratomatic team. And he debuted in 1921. I believe, if I'm right. Um, that's what I got. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, like I thought about George Brett, too, because he, yeah. he played in the park where the, a lot of triples yeah, were hit. But I like I, I don't even know. Like When in doubt, I always go with Rogers Hornsby. Hornsby. But um, what, I don't, what, what do you think, Doug? Uh, you, you have a strong feeling about any of those guys you threw out there? I mean, yeah. Hornsby is probably, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, 20 triples is a lot of triples. And I just, you know, Brock, I just don't think Brock Morgan would do it in three years. So, yeah, I mean, Hornsby's good or Frischer Klein. Because oh, Klein, so you know, went, he stole bases, you know. All right, well, yeah. I, I think. He played, he played in a park where, like, the uh, the fence was 275 feet from home plate, yeah, though. That's so true. Yeah, that's true. A lot of those triples were homers. A lot of, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but maybe. Yeah, well, I, I think Horn. Why don't we, we can go with Rogers Hornsby. I, you you want to get you, you want to go with Hornsby? You sure? No, I'm not sure, but I, I like that answer. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Like, here's <laughs> the thing: if we're if we guess Rogers Hornsby and we're wrong, at least it'll sound good. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So let's let's just do that. Uh, Chris, any chance that it's Rogers Hornsby? Actually, it is not. <laughs> Imagine that. Now there was there was one only one other guy that had as many as two twenty triple seasons wow. over that span, and you did mention him. Oh, nice, Stan Musial. Stan, all right, yeah. all right, all right. That feels kind of good. The man we're looking for here is the Kentucky Colonel, Colonel Combs. Earl Combs. Wow, that's correct. <laughs> he was the original Yankees number one when they went to put jersey numbers on their uniforms, and they did it. Through their batting order, one through nine, he was the leadoff man. Nice. He was the first Yankee number one. As we know, Ruth was three, Garrett was four. Right. Uh, that's the, the man. Jeter was the famous up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he's famous for the number one, not the number twenty. No wonder we missed it. It just proves once again, though, that if you ask it, we will come up with the wrong answer. <laughs> I, I cannot believe how bad we are at this. What are we now? We're like, I think we're 4 and 14 for the season. That, that's a. To Hornsby's, to Hornsby's credit, yeah. he had one 20 triple season, but it came in 1920, the same year of Shoe was Oh, Jones interesting. Very cool. He yeah. could have rewarded us. I, huh? feel, I feel victorious, actually. Four, four wins. That's, that's all it takes to win a World Series, man. Four wins. Worst winning percentage in the <laughs> Orioles. You know how hard that is? <laughs> All right. But I, you know what's really hard? Uh, if you listen regularly to this show, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, usually wrong, we still bring in the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim McMaster, to make you forget that we just 
whiffed on another trivia question. And he plays some play-by-play moment involving one of the answers. Now, if Tim can find some Earl Combs audio clip, video clip, video (laughs) clip would really be hard. (laughs) He's the producer of the year. So, Tim, what do you got? This is my finest day as mayor of Star <laughs> I went down. We were joking off air about the rabbit hole. I went down the rabbit hole. I spent many hours looking for <laughs> Earl Combs. But uh, so, yeah, not a lot of audio from the uh, 20s and 30s. But if you look far enough, you can find something like this. April 14th, 1931, opening Ooh. day at Yankee Stadium, Red Sox and Yankees. This was the second inning. Combs at the plate. Combs lays one through second base. There's Cook coming around to the home plate. He scores. Robin going to third. Combs safe on first. So the amazing thing is that was there. Somehow I found it at the back end of a clip. But (laughs) Earl Combs, hard to find a clip. It's even hard to find Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth audio. I mean, even those guys. And for the guy that was just always on base and got driven in by those guys. uh, Yeah, but I did it, Jason. I did it. Nice. That is, that's great work by the mayor to find that one. I like, I have a feeling like that might, he might not even have been in the park. That could have been one of those recreate, you know, recreations of the game where like somebody's banging on a block. Yeah. Yeah. Simulate the the, yeah. Getting the, it from the ticker. Bat. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. That could, that could be the crowd roar though. Sounded I don't good. know how they do that one. Sounded good. Love it. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, that was, that, that was, we can confirm that was the mayor's finest work as mayor, which is saying something. That's nice. Good work. Yeah. Chris, fantastic question, man. Uh, keep up the great work, and uh, glad you finally got to join us here in Starkville. Yeah, it's a thrill for sure, especially the Shoeless Joe-related question. My son happens to share a birthday with Shoeless Joe. Nice. He turned one a month ago today. Wow. Wow, man. now that is not useless info either. That's excellent. That's excellent info. <laughs> Congratulations. All right, man. Chris Kampkett, great work. Follow him on Twitter. He's the best. Strange but true. Every week before we go, we like to give you a taste of the strange but true stuff that happens in baseball. Every week makes baseball the weird and wild sport it is. So this week, Doug wants to talk about that team whose games he calls the Cubs, who had quite the week. Uh, So, Doug, the strange but true floor is yours. (laughs) Well, I'm just wondering if they're going to invite me back to call these games as uh-huh. um, it has not been successful for the Cubs when I have called them. Uh, this year I did three games in a row, the second game of a doubleheader, then the next day and the day after that, they lost all three games. Now, I know they made a blockbuster trade, and uh, so they're rebuilding and they have a couple of young guys they're looking to. Uh, but I think I texted you after this one particular moment they, so they lost, I believe, six to three. Then it was ten to nothing. Uh, that that was not good. Uh, Brewers scored seven in the first that game. Then on Thursday, which is August twelfth, the Brewers scored seventeen more runs. Five in the second, four in the fifth, four in the sixth, three in the seventh. <laughs> uh, Twenty-two hits. Now I texted you because I didn't know if you even were able to look this up. But I cannot imagine, and this is throwing it to the audience to look this up too. So their number five hitter in the lineup was 
Urias, Urias, right? Luis Urias came from the Padres trade. Then it was Jace Peterson. Then Pena, the backup or patcher against lefties, right? So between those three, five, six, and seven, uh, Urias went five for six with five runs scored and five RBIs. Peterson went five for four, yeah, five for five with three runs scored and four RBIs. And Pena went three for six, three runs scored <laughs> with six RBIs. So what, what is my math on that? 13. All right, I, I did it. I actually, it was 13 for 17. Yep. 15 RBIs, 11 runs scored. Four, was it four homers and nine extra base hits? Five homers? Whatever I think heck. it was 10 extra base hits and five homers, <laughs> yeah. four doubles and a triple. Right. So what... That has to be historic. That's that's why I just had to write that down. Yeah, I haven't I haven't quite gotten to that one yet, but uh, it, like just the whole thing, man. Yeah, like they lost ten nothing on Wednesday, seventeen to four on Thursday, gave up fourteen more runs the next day in uh, Miami, uh, including an eleven run inning. By the way, like um, I don't even know where to start with this, but. All right, at one point between the ninth inning Wednesday and the third inning Friday, the Cubs gave up 32 runs in 11 innings. So that's that's 32 runs, 33 outs. What? <laughs> okay. Like, that's five more runs that they allowed in the entire World Series in 2016. So it, it's more runs in 11 innings then they gave up in seven games in that World Series. It was almost 100 more outs. Yeah. Okay, so, like, think about this. Um, you didn't even mention they had 10 batters in a row strikeout against Corbin Burns. Uh, they did have that magical moment where Andrew Romine yes. uh, came in to pitch, and his brother, Austin Romine, was catching. So it was the first brother-to-brother pitcher-catcher duo in almost 50 years, uh, Larry and Norm Sherry used to do it for the 62 Dodgers, but there was one slight difference. One of those guys was actually a pitcher. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not the case with these two guys. Uh, neither of them is a pitcher. So uh, the whole thing was just crazed. Crazed. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and, and I know that the Cubs land is struggling with losing Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, big trade. So they're rebuilding. There's some. You know, some future talent I can see there. But that was not exactly how they wanted to frame the middle of August. <laughs> it was not a field of dreams. It was a field of nightmares uh, yeah. trying to get their pitching together. But uh, that's why you look look ahead to the future and and uh, hope that things change. But that was uh, it was tough to, to call that because, you know, superstition tells you, like, am I the bad luck charm? So I'm trying to make sure that doesn't happen. So I will make sure I call a victory at some point. Yeah, I recommend that. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the idea that it was all your fault, that's kind of fun, too. Yeah, it's fun. It is fun. <laughs> I bring hits. I bring hits with me. Yeah. Uh, we remember some of those hits. We've talked about many of them on this show. Um, all right. I, like, here's my contribution to The Strange But True. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, just a goofy contribution from me from that Field of Dreams game. Doug, I know you've been waiting for this. I have composed... The all corn team. Oh, nice! Like this is this yes. is what America has been waiting for. Uh, it just so you know, it, since it's my team, 
I am totally bending all the rules of team mm-hmm. construction. I'm not putting a different guy at each position on the field. Don't care about that. I just I'm, I'm just going to put nine guys on the all corn team because mm-hmm. I want them on this team. Are you ready? Yeah, and, and okay, I, I have one. some bonus names just to throw in there at the end for you. Good. I appreciate that. Thank all you. right, number one, Nate Cornejo yep. must be on this team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex Cobb thought he was a must on the team. JB Shuck is on the team. Todd Van Poppel get the popcorn connection right. <laughs> okay, Prince Prince Fielder. There are a lot of Fields type guys I could have put on the team, but there's nobody named Cornfield. So Prince Fielder he makes the team. Uh, Butch Husky he was the first name I thought of. What's wrong with me? Uh, Don Mossy made the team. You know why? Because his nickname was Ears. Ears, okay, yeah. all right. That you one. get it right. Yeah. Okay, now I need a I need a third base coach on the team. Got to be Brian Butterfield. <laughs> okay, and finally, you cannot have corn without a maze, right? So Willie Mays is on my <laughs> all corn team. What do you think, Doug? Have I lost my mind for sure? I I love it. Um, I'd like to add like at least the bench for you. Um, sure. I just looked it up on Baseball Reference here. So there was a Dave Mays, M-A-I-Z-E, 58th round pick of the yeah. Astros. Uh, there's a Nathan Colonel. He could be Colonel, but I'm going to just go with Colonel. It's a fit the narrative. Uh, there was a Tom Butters, a Pirates pitcher. You're right. Uh, there, 1872, there was Frank Buttery, uh, who pitched for right. the Middletown Mansfield. Uh, so he's out of Connecticut, so I have to give him some love for that. Uh, you forgot Salty Parker, uh, Detroit Tigers, nineteen thirty-six, <laughs> right. played with the leg- played with the legendary Hank Greenberg, and there is a Colonel, another Colonel spelled C O L O N E L, but nobody would know that unless I spelled it out. Snover, nineteen nineteen, New York Giants, and his it was uh, Frankie Frisch was the team out of his. <laughs> so uh, I feel like we rounded out quite a team. Now we have a full yeah. bench, um, and yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I, I like it too. I had a lot of other names like I, I you know, I boiler yard Clark. I thought was a good one. <laughs> How do you cook the corn in the boiler yard? Well, we have oil um, can Boyd. You know, oil. We need some oil. I think that uh, we do. Um, yeah. Well, I, I know that you're grateful that I did not include uh, Placido Polenta. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome on that. Um, one second here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I think we've pretty much plowed this corn into the ground. We, we've got it. We're, we're deep but, into uh, it now. I, it's an uh, important contribution to Americana, yes, I, the all-corn team. We did it. We did it. I don't, I don't want <laughs> Iowa mad at us because, you know, I know one of the local reporters from Dyersville was saying, you know, we don't want to be stereotyped as too much corn. But as he said, quote, today for the Field of Dreams, we must embrace the corn. So I'm giving corn a hug right now. Uh, yep. t- t- in appreciation. Yes, we did. All right, that's going to do it for a really corny edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Monday, it's Ken Rosenthal's Mailbag. Thursdays, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Fridays, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. All these shows are awesome. Please check them out. Uh, remember, the Athletic Baseball Show is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go for your podcast entertainment. 
And you can find us ad-free at The Athletic in the Athletic app. We'd love it if you'd subscribe. And if you like what you hear, feel free to give us one of those five-star ratings. We would, great, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there is still no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you'd like to subscribe, just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can subscribe for 33% off an annual subscription. Please check us out. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite the listener who submits our favorite listener trivia question of the week to join us on the podcast and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. To do that, you can email us at starkville at theathletic.com or you can hit us up on Twitter where you can find Doug Glanville at... At Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. And to find me, you would you would go to at Jason S-T, that's Jason with a Y, S-T. Remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS, and please do not answer other people's questions. <laughs> that welled up again this week. Yeah. So Doug, thanks for playing us. Thanks to Murray Cook for visiting. Thanks to Chris Kampka for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us, putting up with us, and somehow finding an Earl Combs play-by-play clip. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it is Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. Starkville.